It's a Flophouse holiday extravaganza as we discuss the War on Christmas movie, Last Ounce of Courage. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Flophouse. I'm Dan McCoy. Hey guys, I'm Stuart Wellington. Hiya pals, I'm Elliot Kalin. We did it. Yeah. We successfully. Okay, <laughs> we call it a names. day, everybody. <laughs> yep. Quit in time. Punch we can, out. We can punch out, and then the like the There's fucking a, wolf can yeah. come and get the sheep like dogs Yeah, Harvey Keitel. Yeah. Yeah, Winston. <laughs> I don't want Harvey Gadell to show up. I imagine sexual misadventures would be in the offing. Yeah, from the uh, the sexual misadventures of Harvey Keitel, chapters one through eight. Only if this is a Jane Campion-directed film would that be the case. But um, this is The Flophouse. It's a podcast where we watch a bad movie and then we discuss it. So yes. a podcast For your is ears. something you download no, off the internet. So let's start watching that bad movie. Turn it on. <laughs> no, we watched it already. Uh, it's gone off the rails uh, already. It appears my brain has deleted pop, my memory of the you, film. You want to pop some corn? Mm-hmm. <laughs> some <Let's>, popping corn. <laughs> Maybe some Skittles? You know, like let's Skittles. just eat corn on the cob. <laughs> like, let's just eat corn on the cob like the pilgrims did when they went to the movies. <laughs> they called them flickers. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I think everybody will remember. And they burned the projectionist as a witch. Yeah. Because pilgrims were defending their right to be able to watch whatever movies they wanted. Yeah, not it's just the subject the of those rights that we are going to talk about today, guys. Yeah, we're t- we watched a, been... we watched a serious movie about serious issues mm-hmm. tonight, and that movie was Dan. It was called Last Ounce of Courage. Now that Last Ounce of Courage is such a stirring, dramatic title. I assume this was about a battle mm-hmm. of some kind, maybe a struggle, a war, even. Mm-hmm. Uh, what war would this be? Like a, like a not without my daughter. <laughs> yeah. It is the you know, like a revenge of the nerds. Most dramatic war, a war that has claimed millions and millions of lives. It's the war on Christmas. Uh, so by millions of lives, you meant zero. Yeah. Well, uh, Jesus, but I guess that wasn't I part of the say, war on Christmas no, per not. se. It was the war. It was on, more of a war on early Christianity. It was more of a one-man war on Christ. Yeah, it was more waged, of like waged by Pontius Pilate in my yeah. new vigilante film. Early Romans being unhappy with uh, these dissidents in their uh, midst. In fact, I believe I know a song about it. <clears throat> What then to do about Jesus of Nazareth, miracle wonder okay. man, hero of fools, no fighting, no slow, <laughs> no rise, no, etc. If I had any fear that uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber listened to this show, <laughs> I would be terrified that ASCAP would be after us right now. So let's just do a... Uh... ASCAP, the weekly improv show at <laughs> yeah. the Citizens Brigade? It's a good thing for you that Hallie's not here, or else we would do that whole song from yeah. the beginning. Um, so this movie lasts. So it's the war on Christmas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I didn't like about this movie, aside from the fact that the acting and everything else in it is bad, uh, was that okay. it conflated the war on Christmas with the war on terror and the war for freedom and America. Yeah. Uh, in a way that I found offensive more as an American than as a non-Christian. I think mm-hmm. before we get into you being offended or I you don't being Jewish care about that law. <laughs> Uh, so what was this movie about, Elliot? Well, we open with a home... Smash cut. Because you don't... You don't <laughs> not have, you don't. smash cut from nothing. <laughs> Fade At first in. there was darkness, and mm-hmm. then there was a quote from one of the presidents. And there's a quote from Ronald Reagan in the 60s laid over Vietnam footage as if... And it said, it said 1961, and then Ronald Reagan, president of the United States, which seems to be implying that he was president in the 60s, <laughs> which is not true 
at all. Okay. Did he Whatever, re- revisionist historian. Uh, no, that's just a historian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Take your textbooks about evolution and put them in the tar pits. <laughs> you mean the that's place where what, we found boom. much of our evidence for evolution, boom. Dan? High five. Have over here. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> Take it away. Take your Judaism and go. Uh, I mean, I don't have to take it. It's just... <laughs> I thought we were going to wait before we brought up Elliot's Judaism. Yeah, it right, really sorry. seems I like apologize. I'm being singled out for Look, being the one Jewish guy here. <laughs> Last House of Courage really, really hyped me up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dan really out. took this movie to heart. <laughs> and at the end, in the rousing rooftop speech about freedom, he really, after the characters had just hoisted an enormous cross mm-hmm. to he, the side of a historic building. I took a menorah and I shoved it up Elliot's ass. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, we call that the ninth night of Hanukkah. <laughs> Anyway, continuing. So (laughs) then we go straight to home video footage of these two friends and one of the friends' girlfriend hanging out. They're regular uh, all American found footage type movies. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's like uh, Apollo nineteen, whatever that was called. (laughs) Chernobyl's diaries. Yeah, your Blair's witches projects. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Your uh, paranormal's activity. (laughs) So your Rex. <laughs> or your Rex? Yep, he's too. right. He's yeah. right. I, mean, <laughs> I thought you meant Theodore Rex at first, yeah. which is, and I was like, "That's a found footage film." I think it is. <laughs> <laughs> Whoopi, Whoopi Goldberg shot the whole thing with a uh, camcorder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, handy cam. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they used a real dinosaur that was really a wisecracking guy. <laughs> exactly. Before they put him in a time capsule and sent him back to the future. <laughs> To stop his parents from not getting together? His Wait, hold parents. on. His dinosaur. space Is that parents. what Theodore Rex is about? Is the dinosaur in a time capsule? No, it's no. the future where dinosaurs are back again and they're cops. Are they better than ever? <laughs> you better believe it. He is a no-holds-barred party dude. A real funosaurus. He does not play the rules by the rules, despite being a cop. And also, Whoopi Goldberg is a future cop. Now this uh, Theodore Rex, does he wear sneakers? You better believe he does. However, they are not made for his feet, so... So his claws just burst right through. Pop right out. He does not wear like regulation Wolverine's clothes. Claws. Exactly. Uh, not at all. <laughs> As it, you mean like it a Wolverine? Snicked. <laughs> no, nope. And no. Nope. Yeah, burst. Wolverine's always running around with gloves on and with the fingers all blasted out. <laughs> no. his claws like are extended. Wolverine <laughs> like, dude, I gave you that catcher's mitt for Christmas. Why are you trying to put it on? Wolverine. when they're trying to pay, play baseball I against the Avengers. I wouldn't have gotten you real leather gloves if I knew you were just going to ruin them with your claws. <laughs> I'm the best there is at what I do. What I do is ruining gloves. Can I return these gloves? Uh, sir, there are three big holes in the back of both these gloves. Uh, I bought them that way, bub. All right. No, you didn't, Logan. And I know your name because you've tried to return gloves so many times. Nope, don't try and put that eye patch on. <laughs> this is like we got a call from the Mad Report branch. <laughs> we, we know Patch and Logan are the same person. Well, what if I say my name's James Howlett? Again, same guy. The best I can do is store credit. <laughs> <sighs> and there, it reminds me of a, a sketch that, that uh, my old sketch partner Brock and I once wrote, in which uh, Hulk Hogan is trying to return a T-shirt, <laughs> saying it was already ripped when he bought it. <laughs> <laughs> and the clerk doesn't believe him because he's tried to return so many ripped t-shirts. <laughs> and he proves him wrong by taunting him into revealing Hulkamania and, of course, ripping the shirt off his back. Uh, uh, anyway, so <laughs> three blonde-haired, blue-eyed teens hanging out. Uh, then we quickly fast-forward through time. The girl and the boy get married. The other boy is, <coughs> is a friend. They get married, and the man, now grown man leaves his pregnant wife and his father, who we've seen as a biker, with a he's a middle aged biker who has a big American flag on the back of his yeah. motorcycle and also and it says America on the bike and he has a 
leather jacket, denim jacket with the best patches ever. One yeah, of his, them. his cut, his, uh, one, his motorcycle one, gang cut. One of the pa- he's he's from the Hellfighters, which sounds like a tough war group, but it's they're just like Christians, I guess. And he has one patch that says. Uh, G- that says Satan sucks, mm-hmm. and he has another patch that says six 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 with a cross through it, and like he has another the patch Ghostbusters that says, sign. My other patch is a Porsche. It <laughs> <laughs> doesn't make much sense. No, it's not. A, there's one that says uh, if you're if you can see if you can read this, then Jesus fell off my bike because <laughs> yeah. I guess Jesus was riding behind him. Yeah. Well, there was only one set of tire treads, and that was when Jesus was carrying him. <laughs> I see. And his bike. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, and Jesus has like a tire for feet, like Gizmo Duck? <laughs> yeah, yep. exactly. So it's like Gizmo Christ. <laughs> Except uh, in his off time, he isn't, what, like an inventor? What the fuck is he was Gizmo just an, Duck? He was a bean counter. He was, oh, okay. Then and he, he just found a magic robot suit? No, 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 no. The scientist Wait, did said. Gearless Gyro Gearless made it. I think, and he used a, Probably. he said, I'm going to use a word, I'm going to use He's a code the word. the forge of this universe. <laughs> I'm going to use. No, he's a Native American. Yeah. I'm going to use a code like a word. Character. He said, I'm going to use a code word no one would ever say. And I think it was like jumping jelly beans or something like that. Mm-hmm. But that's something that Gizmo Duck in his civilian identity said as his regular catchphrase, oh. you know, expostulation. It's like in uh, ejaculation. Uh, comic book 100 Bullets with Croatoa as yeah. the safe word. Exactly. And so or it's he like, said uh, it. The and greatest the, American hero where he lost the instruction manual. Not right, like no, it's not like that at right. all. It's exactly the same. No, he no. knows it. That's it's how like he gets in the it's suit. like Captain uh. America because as soon as the Gizmo Duck armor go on him, a Nazi spy shoots Gyro Gearloose, ensuring uh. they can never build another one. <laughs> another right. Gyro Gearloose? Yes. <laughs> he can't pass on his genetic information. Okay, that's good. anyway. We're like thirty-five <laughs> seconds into this movie. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Anyway, so there's a family. There's a mom and dad. The dad is a veteran of the Vietnam War, and he's a biker who's also a pharmacist and the mayor. <laughs> and <laughs> man who wears many hats. And, and he, he also, when he's a biker, he looks like uh, what, like uh, Peter Fonda from uh, from Easy Rider. No, he looks like Peter Fonda now with like a gut. No, I know, and but like, using like Cialis. But he's got that Captain America biker look. But he's the opposite of a hippie. Is all I'm saying. He looks like the kind of guys you see riding motorcycles around on the weekends, where you're like, "Fuck you!" Like, just get off that bike and like yeah. get back into the car you own, so you can go to your job. Yeah. Like, you're not a tough biker. You're just some guy who owns a bike. Okay. Real judgmental, this guy. Exactly. Look, I'm very judgmental. That's why they gave me that show, Judge Judy. (laughs) I had to change my name to Judy, which I was not happy about. But hey, for my own show, then they changed it to Punch and Judge Judy, and Punch just hits me all the time. I do not like it. (laughs) Terrible bailiff. (laughs) Anyway, so uh, the the son goes off to war, leaving behind his pregnant wife. And at the last minute, they give him a camcorder because so that he can, I guess, record his war fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, they want some DIY footage. (laughs) All of his adventures. And uh, unfortunately, they receive... The baby grows up a little bit. Time passes. They miss him. They get letters from him about how important it is that he's fighting for freedom. And unfortunately, one day they get the worst news that a family can receive, that there's... Their son has been lost in battle. They get a Teddy Graham <laughs> delivered uh, to them. It's a callback to an old episode. <laughs> a very old episode. Very old episode <laughs> about World War II telegram <laughs> delivery men bringing Teddy Grahams to the to to widows of, of the war dead. It takes the sting out a little bit. Yeah. Now this is and so they bring uh, they their son has died in battle. They have a funeral. It's really sad, and the mother moves away with uh, with her son, who's still mm-hmm. a baby. Uh, leaving behind the family when they most need her uh, to keep this connection with their son. Flash forward 14 years, which means yeah. we're technically in the future. Yeah. Uh, yes. Which is like, and the only thing that's different about this future is that 
Christmas seems to have been outlawed in some way. And everybody looks the same so that when there's like flash forwards and flashbacks, you're like, what time am I in? What's going on? Yeah, you're like Billy Pilgrim. You don't, you're mm-hmm. unstuck in the chronology. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but Christmas hasn't really been outlawed, and that's a big point the movie keeps making, which we'll get to. It's kind of like The Purge, mm-hmm. but with Chris, Christmas yeah. and crime. Except I mean, you say it's the future, but I think it's that the, the laws seem to be exactly the same. No, no. It's, it's, it has to be the future because it's 14 years after now. All right. Like we're the, it's the, maybe it's not 14 years into our future. Maybe the beginning of the movie is 2003, 2002. They're just invading Afghanistan or Iraq. And yeah. so it's like 14 years from then, which is still three or four years in our they future. They use intentionally right? vague terms to refer to the war yes. because they want it to be timely. So, I, so that, that in 300 years, <laughs> yeah, when, when we're fighting the Zontarans on, on, on Nebula 5. Yeah. People watch this on their hologram players. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, wait, that doesn't look like Zontar. <laughs> they're like, it's wait weird. a minute. You're right. We should be celebrating Botmus in the open because we'll all be robots by then. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, after we're done talking about the movie, I want you to explain Botmus. <laughs> well, it celebrates, robot the, Jesus. it celebrates the manufacturing of Robot Genius, whereas he's also known... Robot Genius. Robots aren't geniuses, is <laughs> what you're saying. Well, that was that he was ro- a baby genius. The baby, he was a baby robot genius, uh, or as he's also known, the Christozoid. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, but that's in the future when we're still under attack by the Zontarans. Okay. Uh, so it's 14 years on the mom and her now grown son, Christian, who looks like some kind of like, and I don't want to make fun of a kid's appearance. He's no, a teenager, but he uh, looks like kind of like, like, a a mani- like a mannequin whose cheeks melted in and his hair is always frozen in mid windswept. Yeah. Like it's yeah, this yeah. blonde highlight shaggy one direction yeah, he's got these haircut. Streaks too, like but it's it so the, cl- the old classic Bieber do. Yeah, but it's so shaped that it like you were saying, Stuart, it looks like he's always standing in front of a fan or there's always wind right behind him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looked really hip about eight years ago. Yeah. And when I said it, I meant that it looked amazing. Yeah, he you meant it as the highest compliment a Wellington <laughs> can deliver. Sure. Uh so they move back into town and they find that uh the dad the grandfather is really surly. Mm-hmm. He's withdrawn from life. He's withdrawn from all life except for his job as a pharmacist, where he provides free health care for members of the Hyenas Motorcycle yeah, Club, like a, a motorcycle gang kind of run a, by a dwarf. Kind of like a criminal doctor, it seems. Yeah, since a motorcycle guy comes in with what's clearly a stab wound <laughs> on his side, and he goes, I'll help you, but you have to tell me what happened. And he's like, I don't know, and he makes up some story, and the pharmacist is like, ha-ha, well, I'll fix you up, and nobody has to know about it. Look, I play both sides of the law now. Where's a <laughs> yeah. little scratch for the mayor? <laughs> because mayor wants a little taste. <laughs> as we find out much farther into the movie than we should have to, he's also the mayor of this town, <laughs> which is in Colorado, I think. Yeah, yes. I don't know, but like, it is very strange. Mount he's introduced... Columbus, named after the hero Christopher Columbus. <laughs> and his mountain. <laughs> as a pharmacist uh, doing surgery on a biker, and then later on you're like, wait, he's the mayor? Yeah. Clearly, they don't know about his secret life <laughs> as the crime doctor. Yep. Uh, so the family comes back. He's surly. Uh, and it turns out that there he's still kind of mad over the loss of his son, but mm-hmm. he sees that his freedom to celebrate Christmas is slipping away. There used to be a big Christmas tree on the public square, and that they're not allowed anymore. There's some building cr- called the Mission, so it's clearly like – a Christian mission. Yeah, it's that like a had, private Christian institution. That, that had a big cross on it that said Jesus saves, and that was taken down because of, I guess, public disapproval. But he has it in his garage. Like, it doesn't make yeah. any I sense. Think, I think the real turning point is when uh, the grandparents and mother are called into the high school because yeah. Christian 
is in trouble because he brought a Bible into school. He brought his dead father's Bible. His into dead school. father's Bible. So it's probably haunted or something. <laughs> yeah, that was it probably makes perfect it. sense. It was that the ghosts were bothering students when they were trying to study in so study he's hall? Super in trouble for this thing that is not illegal. Not against. And this is a point the movie keeps making. The principal says to the to the grandfather. No, no, the grand the, the Leonard, the kindly black janitor, says to the grandpa. This isn't again. They're not even a law against it. They're just afraid about lawsuits. And he goes into the principal and he's like, "Is this true?" And the principal's like, "Hey, everyone wants to sue us these days because who knows what crazy stuff this school is doing that everyone wants to sue them. But everyone wants to sue us, so it's just better to play it safe. There's no rules against it." And the movie keeps making this point that the government has taken away your right to celebrate your religion, and there isn't even a law against it, which makes no sense as a as a message. Yeah. Like the message is. They're telling that they're stopping you from doing this, but there's not even a law stopping you from doing it. Like it's very weird. So he decides that he Christian get they decide to watch some old videos of uh the of the dead son slash father. Uh they Christian is inspired Tom. by it. Tom, Tom is his name. Tom Revere. Tom Revere. Mm. Oh, that's right. And Bob Revere is the mayor. Yeah. So mm. I guess because Cri- they revere Christmas. Mm. And Christian Revere, it's everything's right there in his name. Yeah. And it's also like Paul Revere. Ooh. And the Raiders. What? Oh, okay. You know, the band? <laughs> Made up of former Oakland Raiders players? <laughs> well, if you say so, Elliot. Uh, believe me, I know both football and music. <laughs> Two things I don't know. Um, so they, he, Christian is like, what are we doing? And he's like, well, I fought in Vietnam and your dad fought in the war. But what are you doing now for our freedoms now? And the grandfather's like, hey, you know what? You're right. So with his mayor powers, he's going to Christmas the shit out of the town. And he actually puts up a sign on the water tower declaring this Christmas city. Okay, that's going a little far, buddy. He's going to paint the town Christmas. And he does. This does not – and everyone seems to be unhappy about this until they're happy about it. Uh, But it brings up the ire of Fred Williamson. I mean most people seem to be happy about it other than there are like – uh, some protesters who show up on the uh, town square lawn and they're with represent- signs saying "No Christmas" and "Christmas separation with of church out. and state." Yeah, like Christmas busters. And yeah. there's one reporter who I guess represents like the liberal media, mm-hmm. except yeah. she comes around to Christmas pretty quick. And there's a great scene where she's interviewing the mayor while he's in a cherry picker <laughs> because he was putting up Christmas snowflakes or something, and he just doesn't get out of it to answer her questions. Yeah. He just is he's stands in the upper at a tilt. left hand corner of the screen tilted. <laughs> Talking to a woman standing straight in the bottom right-hand corner He's of the screen. He's enthroned upon this cherry picker. <laughs> now, everyone's like, you can't do this. You'll get in trouble. It's unconstitutional. And he's like, just watch me. <laughs> Show me the Constitution. And he just kind of bulldozes over everyone with his strength of will. It's a real triumph of the will, if you will. Oh. Uh, and I, you know, I've never heard that phrase before. But, and, uh, <laughs> but then we see in Washington that he's pissed off. Somebody in a building with pillars. He's pissed yeah. off Fred Williamson, who you may know is the star of thousands of Italian uh, low-budget films. Yeah. Uh, black exploitation movies. Black exploitation star. He, he was also in Mars Attacks. Yeah, he's in a lot of stuff, you know. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's, he's also in this movie. And he's so, also in this as... Yeah. Working a cigar and glowering. As the villain. He plays 
the leader of some kind of atheist organization, and it's never it's made clear. the ACLU. They don't say it explicitly. But, but he seems to have the force of the government behind him. There's a part where the mayor goes, Yeah, like You're, the ACLU, you have... wake up, Elliot, wake up. <laughs> the mayor goes, you don't have wake any jurisdiction. King Obama, <laughs> sheeple. <laughs> the mayor goes, you don't have any jurisdiction here. And if it's the ACLU, they don't have jurisdiction anywhere. They're not a legal organization. <laughs> you know, they have no policing abilities, you know. but uh, And they have jurisdiction everywhere because they're a private organization that operates within the United States, you know, it's, but, uh, he decides he's the champion of anti-Christmas. And what's weird is that this is clearly a pro-Christmas, anti-secular movie. It is pro putting Christmas in the town square. And yet every time Fred Williamson gives his arguments, they are so reasonable and rational. (laughs) And they're like, look, I'm here to protect civil rights. Freedom of religion is the same for everybody. Everybody has to be treated fairly and equally. Look, you are the you're the mayor of everyone in your town. You should represent all people. And the mayor is like, "We just want the freedom to celebrate Christmas forever, all the time, everywhere with everybody." And there's a great part where they oh, another thing they keep pointing out is, you know, Christmas is a federal holiday. They're trying to stop us from celebrating a federal holiday signed in by Ulysses S. Grant. And U.S. Grant? U.S. Grant. The, man, as, the as, president who literally had the same initials as our country? But those weren't even his real initials. His name was no. Hiram Ulysses Grant. No. Anyway, it's a, a transcription error when he entered West Point. But anyway, that's besides the point. The uh, What I like is that they have a clip from the O'Reilly Factor where O'Reilly says this. It's a federal holiday uh, signed into law by, Ulysses, by U.S. Grant. And then during the credits at the end, it says... It says special appearance by Bill O'Reilly. It's like, no, you just use a clip from his show. Like, that's not a special appearance. Yeah, that's like playing a Beatles song and being like, special appearance by Paul McCartney. <laughs> now, yeah, exactly. now, Bill O'Reilly showed up and sang Little Drummer Boy with uh, David Bowie. That would be a fucking special appearance by Bill O'Reilly. Uh, yeah, so wait, is this on David Bowie's Christmas special? <laughs> yeah. He's passing along the tradition he picked up from Bing Crosby? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you and I, Bill, we... You Leave and I, things. Bill, we're gonna sing a little drummer boy. <laughs> that was him with Bill O'Reilly. That, yeah, yeah, yeah O'Reilly. Was, and I was Sorry. David Bowie with a call. <laughs> yep. Yeah, great. he's one of the uh, he's one of the peanuts adults. So anyway, so anyway, they keep saying that, and it's a this is okay. Let's just get this straight. I hope everybody's listening to the Flophouse who's fighting the war on Christmas. Federal holiday basically just means a day people can take off from work if they work for the federal government. It doesn't mean the government officially recognizes this as the birth of the Lord. It just means because so many people celebrate it, we're not going to work this day. But they seem to mean that by making, they seem to think that by making it a federal holiday, it means so we're this a, is a day. This is for a pretty everybody. serious rap session we're having here. Look, yeah. I'm just LA's trying dropping knowledge. I'm just on dropping people. knowledge about how federal holidays work. Shouldn't you be sitting Kids, backwards turn your caps. in your chair? Yeah. How do you know I'm not? It's the radio. <laughs> well. Kids, turn your hats around. Mm-hmm. Take the- out that cigarette and put in some gum. <laughs> Wait, hold on. What? Now take the gum out. That's rude while you're in class. Put in a carrot. It's good for your teeth. <laughs> and your eyesight. Okay, now take out that carrot. Put in a candy bar. Tastes better, doesn't it? Who gives a shit if it's bad for you? It tastes good, right? Now pull out your trapper keepers. <laughs> and put in... Get one of those squiggle writing pens. And put in your retainer. Right. Because your trapper keeper should not be in your mouth. Now pull out your... your, 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 your your textbook and turn to page 83. I want answers to all the questions by Monday. Number one, who's Pervasoid number one? The answer is Dan McCoy. Number two. Signing homework already. That's kind of weird. We haven't even started the rap session. Why are you getting the answers? Oh, because I want them to pass the test, Dan. My, my salary depends on this. Look, we're just teaching to the test, and if that means giving them the I answers. Understand. Anyway, no so, child left behind. So he keeps his crusade on Christmas, and Fred Williamson is just kind of 
generally causing trouble by... Smoking by, cigars in hotel rooms. Smoking cigars in hotel rooms and complaining to the town glowering. council. Which in the there's town, a lot of They put up the Christmas tree, and uh, there's a part where they throw a Christmas party, and it's supposed to be the in their own private home. The mayor yeah. and his wife throw the Christmas party. And the party. wife is like... Oh, it's been so. It's so good to send out a, 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 a inv- invitations for this that say a Christmas party rather than a holiday party, like we've like, been doing for yeah, so many years. Yeah, it's like years. she's had to like pull the pull the the chains off her arms. It really feels like they Regular wrote Harrison Bergeron in, in the first in the first uh, draft of this script. There must have been some kind of like Gestapo future dystopian police force that policed everyone's Christmases. And then they yeah. were like, you know what? That's going to be too expensive. We'll just set it kind of nowadays, but we'll keep most of the other stuff. So there are these scenes where people act as if they've been literally unable to privately celebrate Christmas in their homes, which it makes no sense. Well, There's the Grand no Bond Mayor character was originally like the Arnold Schwarzenegger character in Total Recall, I would imagine. And he's living like, in that. And he, so. he doesn't know if he's dreaming this war on Christmas. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He really was a secret Mars, agent. Yeah, yeah. And instead of going to Mars, he's going to Bethlehem. Okay. I see. The people need prayer. <laughs> That's what he's saying. Instead and then of the people a, need there's air. There's a prostitute with three crosses instead of just two. And there's a biker with a little biker in his belly. <laughs> yeah. Who tells him he has got to start a revolution? We're actually not that far from that part. <laughs> yeah, that's but, um, but like for a while, it looks like there's going to be no uh, no uh, visitors for this. Uh, Holiday party, no guests. And then one of the mayor's best friends shows up with what seems mm-hmm. to be a crowd of homeless people yeah. and, and brings them in. To the mayor, the richest man in town. And then uh, an angel gets his wings. Yep. All these letters for Santa Claus. <laughs> you know what? Yes, Virginia, there is one. Jack Skellington, you did do a good job of delivering <laughs> presents. Rudolph, you can ride, drive my sleigh tonight. Herbie the love bug, you're going bananas. <laughs> Ernest, stop making faces and keep delivering presents. It turns out it was Norman dressed as his mother. <laughs> the Cranks are going to celebrate Christmas this year. The Croods are going to celebrate Christmas, even though it's before Christ was born. <laughs> Literally, never stop BC. BC <laughs> comics, the Christian caveman comic. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Don't worry, characters from Bugs Life. I'll stop eating you. <laughs> what? what? You eat bugs? <laughs> we were just saying stuff about movies. <laughs> didn't really make any sense what you just said. Don't worry, Fern Gully. Turns out you're not the last rainforest. <laughs> Don't worry, Dragon. It turns out you're not the last dragon. <laughs> Uh, he was, though. Corn. He what? <laughs> hey, everybody, the Jedis are returning. <laughs> I wish that was the last line of Return of the Jedi. <laughs> and he holds up a crudely photoshopped uh, newspaper that has a picture of Jedis on it <laughs> yeah. and ghosts. Just like how the mayor holds, and this holds up a newspaper where they've clearly just pasted a photograph of the actor playing the mayor onto a real the newspaper. Best, the best one, the mayor is looking at that newspaper kind of over his own face, and then he lowers it, but it's like his own face is being lowered. And someone says, hey, you're famous, dude. And he goes, dude. But they never explain why the hell he's in the newspaper. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, so while they're having the party, somebody, but we know it's Fred Williamson because we see his shoes, uses a truck to uh, literally pull down the Christmas tree in town. And this is where what was a really boring movie, so boring we haven't even gotten into the best subplot because there was so little of it. We'll get to that. A really boring movie found a moment of magic <laughs> because they decided this Christmas tree falling down is not spectacular enough. Let's use Adobe cheap, After let's Effects. Let's use Adobe After Effects to add little explosions to it so that yeah. it looks like the Christmas tree lights are are sparking and break exploding, <laughs> like I guess. Miniature fireworks, basically. Yeah, it's like a screensaver got overlaid on top of the film. <laughs> 
And then Fred Williamson, uh, his boots trampling ornaments, yeah. including the angel that was atop the tree. It's literally the animation level of the opening credits of Night Court, basically. <laughs> uh, and that color scheme. But anyway, it's a little, it's a beautiful little moment. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's a subplot going on we haven't even touched on. The school Christmas play, it doesn't exist. It's called the school winter space play, and it's about... What it's basically about aliens talking about how Christ is born on Earth yeah. and it's a king that will accept all people. A, a it, very hammy, very effete director. Yeah, is, he's, he's dressed like a Hecuba from Kids in the Hall. <laughs> he seems to get gayer with every scene. <laughs> Most of the f- film is just him sitting in a chair doing his best impression of Cam from Modern Family, <laughs> telling these kids how to act in this play. The kids don't like it that they're not being able to do Christmas stuff, so they start a, a mission they call Operation yeah, Sabotage. Let's, let's take a moment to say that the play that they're doing. Is a play about aliens, but is a thinly veiled uh, nativity. It's not Christ. even thinly veiled. They say a king will be born on Earth who will who accept all people. Like yeah. that's not even. And then the, as told in the scrolls of Jupiter or something like that. It's like it's, it's basically what you're saying is aliens believe in Christ too, which is if anything more Christian than a standard Christian play. Yeah, yeah. that it it, it uh, transcends all boundaries of planet exactly. dimension. Who this knows? isn't just an just Earth nativity. Your fucking alien Jesus allegory. All the planets bow towards the Son of Galilee. Mm-hmm. That's what it's saying. But they think it's not Christian enough. And I got to tell you, there's two great actors in this movie. One is the guy playing the theater director who hams the shit out of it, <laughs> and the other we'll get to later. But let's just call him. Cowboy Christ Ghost. <laughs> anyway, he wanders around in the background until the end when he comes into play, so we'll save him. But uh, there's a, the kids decide they're going to save Christmas themselves by changing this play with Operation Sabotage, and there's an excruciating scene where they meet in an attic and discuss what the name of their mission is going to be. Which for a moment I was excited because it reminded me of this Disney uh, like made-for-TV movie about kids rescuing dogs from a dog pound. Parent Trap 3. <clears throat> but, um... No, they didn't save any puppies. Mo- motel or, for dogs. The new parent trap. No, it was not. It was none of those things. It had the the, dog it had trap. the guy who played the police chief at Masters of the Universe as the evil dog pound operator. Oh. The shaggy parent trap. <laughs> the shaggy parent trap. I think actually Dan's onto something. I think it might have been the shaggy parent trap. <laughs> but who was Shaggy? The trap or the parents? <laughs> oh, no, he's played by Shaggy, the R and B artist. <laughs> nice. The guy who wore a lot of yeah. uh, what were those? He uh, just kept going. It wasn't me. <laughs> And, and so then, they like, winking at the audience. And then the police Remember chief that? was like, likely story, Shaggy, likely story. Take him away, boys. <laughs> police yeah. chief O'Mulligan? Yes, <laughs> police chief Sauce O'Mulligan. Patty, and the ghost Patty of Dean O'Irish. Jones showed up and said, Merry Christmas to all of us. Okay, so, wait, there's a ghost in this movie. I don't remember it at all. Okay, it wasn't really a ghost. We'll get to it. Yeah. Uh, so, meanwhile, the uh, mayor is taking his stand, and mm-hmm. he decides... Uh, that he's his and there's a lot of stuff about the sacrifice his son made. A big story comes out that the mayor is not actually a war hero, which he always said he was, which he clearly is since he has a fucking medal of honor and a box in his attic. He could have made that dude with mm-hmm. what his like, metal press it been made for him uh, by the opposing side in the war he was fighting in. Yeah. Oh. He's a sleeper agent. Have you ever seen Homeland? You're I recommend it. He's a brainwashed Viet Cong. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to set a time period to whichever war he was fighting. I mean, in. it's very clearly Vietnam. Uh, he's pretty much fighting in a deciduous forest, Elliot, and <laughs> all the flashbacks. True. In the I don't flashbacks, think that's... it does appear that most of the Vietnam War took place in a park in yeah, Connecticut. Like a dry creek bed somewhere. <laughs> somewhere in Pennsylvania or perhaps Kentucky. <laughs> yeah. uh, Whereas but all of his son's fighting takes place in some warehouse. In the same dusty warehouse. And let me just tell you this. 
Dusty Warehouse, great artist from the 60s. <laughs> Dusty Warehouse. Oh, his songs really got to the heart of what warehousing was like. Uh, let me just tell you're you this. T- tell us your war stories. No, mm-hmm. I don't like to say that I have any sort of understanding about what it's like to be in a war. I spent six days in a war zone. Definitely not enough to really know what it's like, not enough to feel the fear or the the worry or the anxiety the excitement, any of those things. But you that were a master with. with a Bowie knife. But I will – well, that was Bowie before knife, That was before I left. Those were the special skills they needed and that I brought on the USO tour mm-hmm. when I did my night missions, which was doing <laughs> Bowie knife throwing tricks. You know, by day it was comedy and by night it was all knife tricks. Uh, but let me just say it didn't feel like I spent most of the time inside of a dusty warehouse, <laughs> but apparently that's where the entire war for freedom has been taking place. The dusty warehouse is an allegory, Elliot. Mm. For what? Uh, the soul? The... A non-dusty warehouse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a allegory for a working warehouse. Uh, but, but it's dusty because they have not accepted Jesus into their lives or Christmas. Oh, I, I see. I, maybe I'm reading too much into it. So you're saying at the end when there was that shot of a clean warehouse. Yeah, now you're getting it. There wasn't, though. Uh, so there's a story <laughs> that comes out in the paper that the mayor is not a war hero. Uh, and it turns out that there's a mission he never told him about. He says that his job in Vietnam was leading a leading a special unit that was rescuing POWs. So he's basically like a Chuck Norris Rambo type. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, but he talks about a mission he never told about where, because he was pushing his men too hard, he or one of them tripped a tripwire, which triggered an ambush, and his men got killed, and he's never told anyone about that mission. And it's like, I guess that's a mistake, and he I can understand his guilt, but it doesn't mean he's not still a war hero for all the war fighting he did like it's yeah, a weird thing to come who out who found out this story all of a sudden mm-hmm. i assume anyone who looked in the public records of the u.s military like and there's a you have to do a report about basically every you know, battle it doesn't, it doesn't matter because uh he's been disgraced the town council has removed him from his duties. they literally fire an he elected got fired official because he's not a war hero but they well they, the he war does not he- have the strength to lead them it was just the last straw that broke the camel's back and that camel was in a nativity scene which was really bad <laughs> <laughs> If it had been a regular secular camel, we would not have had a problem. No. But it was a nativity scene camel. Yeah. Uh, it was a real a mall in the night visitors scenario. Sure. Anyway, so uh, he's removed from office in what I can only call a municipal coup, mm-hmm. and he decides he's he going to strikes back the only way he can by hoisting, by hoisting a giant cross to a private building front, <laughs> yeah. and he's single handedly doing it until his biker friends from the hyenas and his son Christian help him. Yeah. And this somehow is and against the law and he's it, thrown in jail. <laughs> if he hadn't patched up that overweight biker from the stab wound, yeah. that overweight same overweight biker wouldn't have been able to help him hoist mm-hmm. that cross. I mean that's good screenwriting. He's like the the lion that Hercules pulled the thorn from. Exactly. He's like I think you've He's like an apple. two different stories. He's, he's like, like an apple tree that Johnny Appleseed like, planted. Like, it was not he's Hercules. Like the goose that Pegasus Bill massage <laughs> no. gave a massage no, to. No, you're totally getting all the stories wrong. <laughs> he's, oh. he's like a monkey that Paul Bunyan the gift of the Magi. He's like he's like the tortoise that raised the happy hooker. <laughs> you're getting all the stories mixed up. <laughs> he's like when. Uh, Persephone uh, oh boy. gave Thor nope. Excalibur. Nope. All wrong. All wrong. Though you're drawing some interesting parallels between different mythologies, Dan. Uh, let's touch on that. Uh, this, comparative, on that. this comparative religions class is getting a little bit interesting. Yeah. 
Oh, boy. The point is... I wish the Hercules story was about him befriending the lion rather than murdering it. So you're saying the grandpa gets sent to jail, but only if, and you're talking about magical figures. Well, but first the grandpa gives a speech about freedom that lasts about four hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very rousing and, it's, and very wrong. And it's captured on the, the front of the DVD box, right? I, I, I don't know. I haven't seen that. Okay, movie. I'll pull up the poster. Okay. Mm. Uh, it's but, not a chick's butt or anything awesome like past <laughs> movie posters we've looked at. Yeah, like the fucking Dybbuk movie. Whatever It'd be amazing if, the, yeah. if there was like the, the the cover for this movie, this family movie about saving Christmas was like a teen sex romp yep. <laughs> painting where like it's all there. It's like a, a Mort Drucker t- style thing yeah. or a Jack Davis style thing where they're all racing around the title and... There's like a cheerleader with her top off that's running, and the grandfather's chasing her, and the yeah. and the grandson is running. But there's like a big fat woman who's trying to kiss and him. It says the halls aren't the only thing that are going to get decked. Yeah, yeah last ounce of courage. Uh, <laughs> spring break. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> last ounce of spring break. But anyway, he gives the speech. He gets arrested, I guess, for speech giving and cross putting upping, mm-hmm. which are crimes in Obama's America. Oh, exactly. Or it's the future. So I guess Hillary Clinton's America. Future crimes. Future crimes. <laughs> better watch. Yeah, yeah, you you you've been found guilty of future crimes. <laughs> <laughs> so says Time Judge uh, Judy. Anyway, so the he gets thrown in jail, but the movie's not over yet. There's still Operation Sabotage to go through. And in jail, he gets to hear his grandson's <laughs> Christmas play because a helpful cowboy angel <laughs> in the form of a white long a white haired, long haired cowboy with a beard has a magic radio which allows him to hear what's going on within the school auditorium. He looks yeah. like an old good guy version of The Undertaker from WWE. Yeah, yeah, or like those evil Edgar Winter brothers from that one Jonah Hex comic. <laughs> yeah. Was that Riders of the Worm and such? Yeah, that's right. Uh, so he he's like good he's like yeah. Willie Nelson and The Undertaker combined yeah. into one guy. He's a, he's a he's a Sam Neill from Big Lebowski Jesus is what Exactly, is. very much so. Or Sam Elliott because if it was Sam Neill Sam, Sam, Sam Elliott. Sorry. No, no, Sam Sam Neill and the in the director's cut where he's playing his character Alan Grant from Jurassic Park. <laughs> and he just it's a looks... Sam Neill from Siren sort of character. <laughs> so Sam Neill in... painting a bunch in... of naked Australian ladies. Sam Neill in the Omen 3 Dominion, or whatever <laughs> that was Elliott. called. Oh, boy. Go! Oh. <laughs> real... Except my Sam's. A real okay. Thunderbolt Ross type. Sam Neill, I know you're listening. Uh, I'm apologizing for Dan for getting you confused with Sam Elliott. Yes, thank yeah. you. Uh, you're very different. And I people. apologize to Sam Elliott for getting confused with Sam Neill. And I apologize to Sam the Eagle for not being mentioned in this bit. <laughs> we'll get to you later, bud. Okay, so Operation Sabotage goes off without a hitch. This involves one literally forcing and forcing the gay director into and then trapping him in a closet, which is a metaphor I don't know that the filmmakers were going for, but uh, it does seem like what's what they're saying is it's very imperative for us to save Christmas by forcing gay people into closets. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they take off their alien robe costumes and they're in angel costumes and wise men costumes. They tell the story yeah. of Christmas and sing and Linus comes to Silent Night. And then Christian, for some reason, decides to project his father's last video on a big screen, oh. which literally ends with his father dying in an explosion, which asks two questions. One, how did his camcorder survive that explosion? And two... It's like Cloverfield. Two... Home editing software is so cheap and available. Why did you not edit out the gruesome death of your father before projecting it in front of the entire town folk? Yeah. But well, he's a teenage filmmaker, you know? He's he's into the shock, the the gore effects. Oh, you're, so you're saying it was a real cry for attention. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, so <laughs> it wins everybody over. They all come out. The mm-hmm. mayor is as uh, released from jail on bail, I assume. 
They'll hum Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And they sing it, and the mayor sees uh, sees Cowboy Jesus, Saint of Killers, just walk away from the crowd and literally fade away in, a, in white light. So yeah. it was, this movie had no supernatural elements until the very end. And the only way it could have gotten better is if Fred Williamson had then disappeared in a puff of brimstone. So You won again, son of man. I'll go back to my life. But secular lair. humanism will have its day. Presumably this movie's made for people of the, uh, that are strongly follow the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. And if I was one of those people, I would be offended if I had dedicated my life to upholding the virtues and the beliefs of like of Christian faith, only to sh- see a movie where uh, a biker mayor guy who saves Christmas is visited by a fucking angel from God. Wait, wait, but aren't you, wouldn't you be, be so excited to see that your God, it turns out, is kind of a cool hippie I mean, cowboy? I guess I might be excited if I was like, Hey, yeah, I've dedicated my life to Christianity. I've seen that guy all the time. He shows up all the time. I'm glad they finally called him for, for a movie, telling the truth. Mm-hmm. Instead, I'm assuming, I could be wrong, but a lot of people don't see that. I don't know. I mean, it's speaking as someone who is not a Christian, uh, It did the, the uh, portrayal of Christianity didn't bother me, because whatever, I don't have a stake in that. But it did bug me just that, just the assumption that, like, look, I like the f- important thing about freedom is that I get to do whatever I want all the time, no matter what anybody else wants. It's this weird kind of selfish sort of freedom. Yeah, well, th- this 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 bothered <laughs> me, and we talked about it during the movie. Where like we should talk about the quality of the film too, which was yeah. very poor. But the know? kid, the kid, was this like, is not this is not the the uh, MSNBC podcast. The whole you point know, of the, the movie was House. like the kid being like, "What what did my dad die for? What freedom did he die for?" And it's just like. Well, your dad died fighting uh, for the United States of America, which, as one of its founding principles, separates the, church and state. Literally, the one of the first ones. Yeah. One of the two first ones. <laughs> it's very strange. Well, like, Dan, actually, that phrase, separation of church and state, a wall between church and state, only appears in a letter by Thomas Jefferson. Yeah, it's right. not in the Constitution. Okay. All right. <laughs> Right, history. House. He's free to have that awesome haircut that he has. Yeah, yeah. Able to wear that weird upside down cross pendant he's it's wearing just at the, the end of the, the movie. The kid wears a cross that where the top and the bottom are almost equal size, so it looks like it's upside down. And I guess he's a Satanist. He's mm-hmm. totally a Satanist. Uh, well, but he wants that freedom, you know. Who knows? But I think we could all overlook this if the movie was of a high quality. Because speaking as for myself, someone who has no religious connection with the Christian faith, <clears throat> I often find myself moved by. Christian works of art that are of a very high quality, you know, or of a mm-hmm. high caliber, or speak to a real human emotion, and this does none of those things. <laughs> or even um, pop Christian works of art of high caliber, such as your Charlie Brown's Christmases. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but this, yeah, this is a terribly made movie. It's so, and really, it it's so cheap, like, just amateurish in a lot of ways, but I think my favorite ways that it's amateurish <laughs> are the, uh, well, I don't know if I can choose, if I could choose, there's the bad acting, which is really bad. There's the bad editing where you just suddenly get a shot of something random. All of a sudden you're now in the bathroom where two characters are having a conversation <laughs> and you're like, how'd they get there? Or, Do you follow them in? There's a, it's the first day of school for a young Christian because uh, he moved to town like the day before school started. And it's literally a out- shot of the outside of the school, then like half a second of a hallway where two girls are talking and then instantly we're in gym class. And it was like, why did we just see that shot of the hall? Like just to prove this was a school with more than one room? I don't understand. Why did? Why are we seeing flashback overlaid on flashback overlaid on flashback over here? Is it to hide the fact that the Vietnam sequences were shot in a public park of some kind? 
<laughs> well, I do like the uh, the the subplot that we didn't touch on of the uh, the widow of. Uh, oh, that's right. There's another. There's a romantic <clears throat> subplot. Yeah, the widow who is, I guess, having a, a brief romance it's, with her mm-hmm, uh, a brief her, encounter. It's <laughs> it's it's Christian's mother who uh, doesn't age a day in that 14 years. <laughs> no, she looks amazing. She looks great. She's yeah. like the total- Bretts. She's like the brats not aging. She's a total. Yeah, so she milf. smeared her face with brats juice. <laughs> she's a total milf. Mother, I'd like to have faith with. <laughs> she smeared she 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 stuff with brats juice. So where is that saliva or blood or what? Yeah, she it's crushed, a mixture. Do you she just take a rat and just grind brat. it up? <laughs> Mortar pestle and rubs the, the slurry. Just over. smashing <laughs> Jade's face with a mortar until she can rub it on her skin to be eternally youthful. It's much. It's like the dumpling story in Three Extremes. Yeah. <laughs> It's that kind of chemistry that Jade would appreciate. Um, <laughs> There's a romantic subplot. It's that's true. Jade would like the science of it. I like the uh, the romantic <laughs> subplot and how, as you pointed out, Dan, how awkward and crappy the flirting is. She's she's yeah. falling in love slowly with her husband's best friend, who's now a police officer. And Dan, Dan, you made the point that flirting might be the thing that bad movies fuck up the most. Yeah, they, everyone seems so awkward and so weird when they flirt. Um and it seems like that should be I'm something like normal that, flirting when I do it. Yeah. It's it's totally Super natural. Smooth. Oh, smooth as silk. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's like oil poured onto set. Well, when Stuart does it, it women's <laughs> hair sometimes catches flame. It's <laughs> the so women potent. sometimes don't even know what happened. It just feels like normal conversation. Mm-hmm. Then Stuart winks and walks away. And then the, and the, the women are like, more, oh, "Oh my god, I'm in love!" And yeah. I didn't even realize it. And then the next day they wake up in Stuart's bed and they're like, wait, I went to bed in my bed. <laughs> and Stuart's like, yes, well, I have a ladder. Exactly. <laughs> and you and have a get, second floor window. Right, that's kind of Then I give Nemo a high five yeah. for transporting them in his flying bed. <laughs> Nemo from Slumberland? <laughs> yeah. Or Nemo that? the fish? <laughs> Captain Nemo. Oh, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> his flying bed, the Nautilus. <laughs> Nautilus. So yeah, that's carries them over. But it's easy to tell, like like a Charon of sex. Like it's easy to tell how wrong it is, just because it's an experience that we've we've all had in life of like talking to someone who you're interested in, but like, and you're kind of testing the waters, but you're being playful and you're realizing there's an attraction there. But as you said, Elliot, it's it's also a subtle interaction. (laughs) So if you're a bad screenwriter, you can't. It's a very subtle and a very delicate thing, and hard to do in real life. So like. I can understand why it would be hard to get on the page, but when you're a bad writer, especially, when you can't even ra- write a rousing speech about freedom, maybe the single easiest thing to write a rousing speech about. Mm-hmm. I don't expect you to be able to write down the delicate interplay between a widow and her dead husband's best friend as you find your mutual attraction at the basketball court. All right, so we've been going for a while. We should just move on to our final judgments. This is a good, bad movie, a bad, bad movie, or a movie you kind of liked. Elliot, what do you have to say? Uh, it's a bad, bad movie. It offended me on a political level, not mm-hmm. because I'm a liberal, but because I have certain feelings about America's basic core values that this movie doesn't share. Yeah, you're uh, un-American. You're a communist. Yeah, yeah, because I'm a total commie pinko who believes uh, that I don't not to live Believe in Believe golems and dibbics. Who doesn't want to have Christmas shoved down my throat as it has been for every year of my life on this godforsaken planet. Anyway. Uh, no, God-blessed planet, Elliot. God-blessed planet. Yeah, it, there's a little thing called... War and Hunger, Dan. All right. Look into it. I think you'll like it. <laughs> uh, so. But it's just poorly made, and it this made <laughs> Fireproof look like a really good movie. Which we we actually talked about Fireproof, which we watched recently. Where it was show. like, Fireproof was just dumb and silly, whereas this is like 
wrong on a basic level. Where Fireproof was about one man using religion in his private life, which is totally okay. And this was about the need for religion to be a part of our government, which was not. So what what you're trying to say is Fireproof, good, good movie. No. (laughs) What I'm saying is the private quality of that and Kirk Cameron's stunning performance really lifted that one, whereas Mayor Bob, the pharmacist who who sews up stabbed uh, bikers, did not really carry this movie. What do you think, Stu? Uh, normally I would say it's a good, great movie because it features a magical ghost that disappears at the end when his job is done. Sure. Uh, but no, Elliot's right. I mean, uh, as much fun as I watch kids coming up with plans to sabotage the uh, play... Uh, a couple of Kimmy Gibblers hanging out. Uh, it, yeah, it's not very good. And uh, I don't recommend anybody watching it ever. Like, I don't even think people who agree with the message of the movie would enjoy this No, movie. that's the thing. Like, It would make me even more offended if I agreed with the message because it's so crappily done. Yeah. It makes me feel dumb by association. Like they should just go watch It's a Wonderful Life again. Or like RoboCop. What do you I think, Dan? I'm going to give it a bit of a good-bad movie. Cause like, Ugh, you, are, no. you, this is, you keep giving them good-bads. No, I don't. But like this is, we watch so many movies. Uh, thanks to our particular purview as as a uh, podcast that are just mediocre. This is a movie that is our incompetent. Curse. The curse. Yeah, it is incompetent. And uh, I laughed more at the stupidity of this movie than I normally do. I, I also got angry at some made of the political me, views. It made me angrier than I like a good mad movie to make me. Yeah, that's the one thing you you swayed me on Food Fight. I don't think you're going to sway me on All Last right. Ounce of Courage. But if there was more disappearing ghosts, if there was more crappy or Christmas ornament special effects, I would have been all over this. I would actually argue that part of what makes a, a good bad movie is that you kind of it it doesn't actually remind you of anything in the real world. It's kind of disposable feel, escape, yeah. And I feel that this just makes me mad. It's and I think you guys should feel that way too, since your your day job deals with this shit. So well, much. I think that's part of the problem. If I was not as exposed to this at work. This type of like War on Christmas stuff, I think maybe it wouldn't have made me so mad, but it, watching it made me feel like I was at work. Ellie's been exposed. We got a quarantine. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, to Christmas disease. Um, ho ho ho, guys! Oh no, <laughs> I'm manifesting the symptoms. Uh, should we? Should we? Before we, yeah, before we get into letters, before I sing my song. We should thank um, the AV Club at, at the Onion. At well, I mean, I feel like there's there enough of a. Um, Here we independent go energy. I just days. wanted people to know it wasn't the AV club at like George Washington High School. Yeah, we want to. Although well, we thank them too. Thank our, great. our local great. high school's AV club for giving us these great microphones. <laughs> but also thank the Onion AV Club. Um, I think they're separate from the Onion, Dan. We yeah. don't need to mention oh, that. God damn you! <laughs> so uh, we want to thank the Onion AV Club for a big honor they bestowed upon us. Yeah, we got the fifth best podcast of 2013. Tied for fifth best. We tied for fifth with well, the Bugle. But here's the, the Bugle. Who, but here's who the, the thing. cares about that thing? <laughs> so we, Am I right, guys. It meant a lot. To, it meant a lot to me, uh, partly because the AV Club uh, has been a real champion of us for a while now, but also because everyone else, for the most part, on the list, and especially five and up were much bigger names than us. Mm-hmm. We were tied with The Bugle, which stars some English guy from television. Mm-hmm. Right above us was Dan Savage's podcast. Above that was Mark Maron's podcast. Like, these these are podcasts by name people that have much bigger profiles, so to be in that company and they're, was and quite inspiring. they're great podcasts. And they're great podcasts, that's true. Yeah. Everything on the list is a great podcast. Yeah. Especially a, a podcast called the Flophouse Podcast. Check <laughs> T- it out. Tied for fifth should have been first. <laughs> uh, yeah, so thank but, uh, you. Yeah, thanks very much, AV Club. Um, and thank you, Dan. 
for thank being you, a friend. Stuart. And thank you, Stuart. Hey, guys. Aren't you going to thank me for anything? No. <laughs> I'm going to thank pain lately. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to thank what Dan's about to read, which is a letter. So, um, this thank first you, letter. letter. <laughs> is titled Scary Stuff. Scary stuff. No, no, scary stuff. <laughs> scary stuff. It's not scary stuff, it's stuff instead. Oh, but what is stuff? Let's find out what stuff is. Is stuff the stuff that's under your bed? Is stuff the stuff that's on top of your head? Is stuff the stuff inside of the dead? We'll never know. Just where it goes. It's stuff. It's stuff. What is this stuff? Stuff, it's off. It's <laughs> Give it a stuff. <laughs> stuff it around. No. Stuff it in town. <laughs> stuff it upside down. It's stuff. <laughs> Brought to you by Dan McCoy's stupid mouth that can't say things right. <laughs> beware, the, beware the warlock and his scary stuff. <laughs> right. Okay. I well. am stuff, the spirit that eats dreams. <laughs> this letter... It's titled... Our Captain Stuff here. Yeah, the letter's titled Scary Stuff. We get scary it. Scary Stuff and Not Scary Movies. <laughs> hey, Dan Stewart Elliot. Yesterday I caught... That's the se- us if we were one organism. Yesterday I caught A human the centipede, second. if you will. <laughs> I call middle. <laughs> no. Wait, I mean Dan's middle. Wait, what? Dan's middle. Not middle. I'm touching my nose. Yesterday I caught the second half of the sci-fi comedy romp Inner Space on TV. Hmm which I have not seen since I was a child, where it aired pretty much every Sunday on Comedy Central. I still enjoyed the film and was pleased to recognize a pre-Voyager's Dr. Robert Picardo as the flamboyant illicit technology dealer, The Cowboy. Oh, yeah, he's in a lot of stuff. But when I was watching it, I was anxiously awaiting the one scene in this goofball, Martin Short, Dennis Quaid vehicle that scared the living shit out of me as a child. In the climax of the film, the main bad guy's robot-armed heavy also invades Martin Short's inner space and dukes it out with Dennis Quaid in the lungs and at the top of the stomach. The heavy is defeated when he and Dennis Quaid fall into a churning sea of stomach acid as he had to eject from his super-goofy-looking exosuit and was unprotected from intestinal juices. After the plunge, you Do get you think a... any of that stuff was in the first draft of Inner Space? <laughs> I don't know. At what point did robot henchman exosuit get into this movie? After the plunge, you get a brief glimpse of the heavy's melting faceless body bumping up against D. Quaid's sub's windows. This scared the ever-living shit out of me when I was a child. When I first saw this, I had to run out of the room and sit outside trying to get the horrifying image of a gory, disintegrating body out of my mind. So I ask you, what non-horror, non-gory films have you seen, as a child or otherwise, that have an out-of-place, super scary, or horrible moment in them that made a terrible impact on you? Keep on flop, flippity, flop, flop, wormy, ding-dong, flop, whatever. Alex last name with hell. <laughs> that was a lot I of times. Gonna, I think I'm going to answer for everybody and say the beginning of Ghostbusters totally fucking freaked me out. That wasn't what I was going to say, but it totally did. There were my, two moments in Ghostbusters. When I saw Ghostbusters in the theater, my mother covered my eyes and just told me it looked like Skeletor. <laughs> You know, oh, okay. to put it in a reference for me, I, put it there, in context. That moment in Ghostbusters and also the cab driver ghost at the end when they release all the ghosts from the... It's like a horrible rotting zombie. It looks like a, the Crypt Keeper, basically. But, but like, like way fatter and grosser. And grosser and more graphic. I think we talked about this. You did, and I found it very gross. Yeah, Crypt Keeper's brother, we got into that. <laughs> but for me, maybe I speak for you guys too, maybe not, when I say two words, Large Marge. Mm-hmm. There's a certain moment in... I've never, we've never ever talked about Large Marge certain moment podcast. in Pee-wee's Big Adventure... That I think we did talk about where it's like totally goofy looking now, but as a kid, totally scarified me. 
Yeah. And I think it was just the suddenness of it. And because I just saw something and it and covered my eyes, I didn't know how goofy it looked, you know, until I was older. When I was gr- when I was a kid, my mother showed me a lot of movies that I probably shouldn't have seen. Fan she thought Holocaust. I would Yeah, she thought I'd love Robocop, which I did. How old I was, were you when you, saw, when you saw Robocop? Uh I don't know. It was just out on VHS. So that's when fifty I, years old. Kid, kids <laughs> had that <laughs> shit up. Because that's when I now. saw it too. And I remember And the in bit the where beginning. the guy gets all well, that part was awesome. E D two oh nine. That's the, what uh, got me. The bit where the guy gets all melty with the acid and then Robocop just runs him right right oh, over and I his head that. pops off. Even when as I was a kid, kid, I was totally freaked out. And the, all the, sh- the guy who gets his chest blown the fuck up by ED-209 in the beginning with all the gunshots, that, I covered my eyes. But with the guy with the... That stuck with me because now I never want to work for a big corporation. <laughs> Just for that reason. The, with the radioactive guy who gets plastered, by that point in the movie, I was like, yeah, come on, more stuff. Get the, get more grossness. The thing that occurs to me, and this is meant to be creepy, but it's in a non-horror movie film, which is... Uh, uh, in Temple of Doom, when they go through the fucking like tunnel of bugs, oh, that was totally scare balls for me. <laughs> See, when what I was a scared kid. me in Temple of Doom as a kid was the eyeball coming up out of the soup. Yeah, sure, that was really gross to me. Now, yeah, that's or such a great scene—the scene where they just do a bunch of exposition and show a bunch of gross shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is like, maybe you won't notice that this is all exposition if we have a bunch of gross food <laughs> for you. <laughs> it is. It is the movie equivalent of. Going to a haunted house, but someone is giving you directions on how to drive home from the haunted house <laughs> while you're at the haunted house. So it's like, then you take a left at the gas station, here's some witch's hair, <laughs> and you stick your hand into some spaghetti. Then you're going to go about five Why is this miles. Hair so thick and wet. <laughs> she, never brought, she never washed it. Or maybe she just washed it. <laughs> Most witches know that you should only wash your hair every other day. <laughs> and here is a bowl of brains. Well, these feel like tomatoes. They're small brains <laughs> from tiny people. Um, this nest letter is Nest titled. letter, huh? It's a letter in a nest? Uh. <laughs> Did a bird write it? Tweet, tweet, dear Flophouse. Oh, can you find me shiny objects to decorate so I can attack, contract a mate? It goes like this. I'll <laughs> regurgitate food into your mouth. Titled, Love a bird. <laughs> titled Mr. Wellington, I presume. It goes like this. I Spotlight's on me, guys. Just got a fancy new pair of high-quality earbuds, and boy, howdy, the frequency, response, and overall audio quality is that much better than that cheap jack junk from Singapore I was using before, which sounds like I was talking about heroin. I'm not, of course. Everyone knows that Singapore junk is decidedly not cheap. Anyway, I did notice that I can hear a lot more ambient noise on podcasts, most notably yours, and what I noticed was that I, what I initially thought was the clinking of ice in a glass. Then I realized that you all are much too professional to drink during your highly intellectual discussions of world cinema. Stuart hears as he literally grips a giant mug <laughs> of course, full of a brown liquid. It must be Stuart, in moments of elevated emotional distress, uh, accidentally losing his eyelid grip on his monocle, causing it to clatter down onto the waterfall crystal bottom of the glass bottom boat from which you record each episode. That, my friends, is sheer class. Mm-hmm. Cheers, Rob, last name withheld. Rob, you're exactly right. Yeah. Exactly. My wig flips up off of my head and the monocle mm-hmm. falls out of my eyeball. Your dicky curls up. <laughs> <laughs> In shock. And we all remember Stewart's classic phrase, why I never, <laughs> as he rips his own ding-dong off in dismay. <laughs> <laughs> the ding dong in this case is clearly the side of yeah. the dean of a popular university. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, all, we all remember all the classic uh, two reelers that Stuart did back in the golden days. Oh yeah, yeah, as comedy. elegant wellegans. <laughs> 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 the the rich guy who's always being surprised. <laughs> and his sidekick, Dirty Dan McCoy. 
the lovable <laughs> roustabout who's always trying to catch a glimpse of other men's wife's bottoms. And for fuck's sake, can't pronounce words. <laughs> Just, it's a good thing they were silent films. Oh, yeah, that is great. But on the title cards, the words were written incorrectly. So, Dan, what word are you going to mispronounce in this letter? All right, well, this letter is titled, Those with non-debilitating leg injuries need your sympathy and respect. Oh, that was pretty good. Hey I'm guys. amazed you got that out. I'm amazed. I've heard a lot of talk on the podcast lately making light of Dan's knee injury. Dan Trash is a good talk. host, and he's played along, <laughs> but I believe that the jibes and mockery hurt him more than he lets on. I've been in a position, and I know the hidden pain of leg injury that no one takes seriously. In 2008, my special forces team was leading 100 oh, Afghan shit. commandos. Okay, let's just stop right there. Dan does not have any, th- any story that exciting. He was on a ski. But anyway, you're saying... Dan, we thank you for your service. Uh, commandos. <laughs> on the slopes of Vermont. Commandos up a steep terrorist ridgeline toward a hostile Taliban-controlled village. As the point man, my buddy John Wade and Walding entered the village. The entire valley opened up on us. Walding's knee was shot off. Oof. The, bo- the bone and joint were blown away, but the bottom of his leg was still held on by muscle and skin. John took his lower leg and bent it up by his thigh, tying the limbs together with his belt. He used a tourniquet to stop the bleeding. In that situation, he then crawled back down 200 vertical feet of terraced rice fields. He has a robot leg now, and he's fine. Don't worry about him. He's very used to getting attention and sympathy for his awesome story and badass injury. Here's my beef. At the same time, I was also shot through the leg, albeit a few inches lower in my calf. Does anyone give a shit? No. Nope. <laughs> Walding gets all the leg injury blowjobs while I can't even complain about my leg pain without everyone calling me a pussy. That's true. Women love giving blowjobs to cyborgs. Dan, my minor leg injury brother, I stand with you. Our wounds may be bearable and highly treatable, but the mockery which an unfeeling populace heaps upon us can never be cured. Someday all the silent heroes of non-debilitating leg trauma will be able to show their faces in the sun. We will receive the accolades and sympathy which are deservedly ours. People will praise us, not just for living with these wounds, but for overcoming the minor inconveniences of daily life. Annoyances which, I'm sure Dan will agree, prove there's either no God or that he hates us all. Dan knows what I mean. Adjahar, last name withheld. All right, well, I get what you're laying down, Adjahar. No, no, I get it. Dan, I've been wrong, and I'd like to present you with a medal I'm calling the Purple Leg Uh for people who won't stop complaining about their minor injuries. I think we should do. We should invite the, the author of that letter over. We should do a soccer game, and the two of you guys will be on one team, and Elliot and I will be on the other. <laughs> and yet, El- Stuart and I will still lose somehow. I get. I, look, I, I we get shouldn't what, have put you in goal, Elliot. I get what you're. <laughs> I, I can't run. That's the only place I can be. I'm so tiny, though. I get what you're laying down here, but I still remind you of the old adage that uh, uh, comedy. Uh, or like tragedy is when I start to stub my toe. Comedy is when you fall down a manhole and break your neck. Yep. Um, the old Mel Brooks saying, "Mangled and mutilated yeah. by a drunk Dan McCoy." <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, it's manageable. But look, guys, why not? Why not just have sympathy across the board for people who are hurt? No, that's a very good than point. Stacking up injuries against some sort of, some sort of injury death match. That's a very good point. I would I would counter though by saying there's a certain respect that comes to those who stoically bear their injuries without you know telling me about them all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> On so the other was- hand, I, I, you you would be surprised at the at the brief <laughs> amount of time that comes between sympathy and are you still talking about that? Good point. Good point. Yet I would counter over by saying I see you a lot, and so no, that's a fair point. <laughs> Uh, but thank I'll you, take that one. Thank you for writing in, and uh, no, thank I, you I for will your say, service. When Dan hurt his leg, I was very, very 
concerned, and I still am to this day. Uh, but thank you so much for Good save, dude. writing in and giving Dan the support he needs because his leg certainly isn't. Well, and thank you. That's true. <laughs> Kickstand McCoy. And I would, uh, I would say Maybe. also. <laughs> Kickstand um, McCoy. Just trying out nicknames, dude. <laughs> In a movie that that callously, um, you know, took people's military service uh, as a fucking tear jerking nonsense, and used shorthand. used it for a purpose that is unfair to the people who yeah. are actually serving. We appreciate hearing from someone who um, has actually had that uh, experience and uh, and has a crazy story, a about crazy it. story, and also a story that inspired because of your mention of uh, blowjobs for robot legs. My new porn movie, Roblocop, <laughs> about a cyborg with a robot penis. <laughs> the thing is, you don't want to give him a blowjob when it's really cold. And yeah. when he says it's, your move, creep, you should probably change creep to something nicer for the woman. Yeah, yeah. It, like, your move, babe. <laughs> that works better. But anyway, thank you so much for writing in. Yeah, yeah. And thanks to everyone who wrote in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for coming. Also, at uh, this is this is probably dirtier than we need to go. But at the end no, of please. at the please. end of at the end of Robo Roblocop, when he defeats the bad guy, the sure. uh, the, what, the the, the boss goes the boss goes nice fucking son. What's your name? And he goes Murphy, and then walks off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> slowly because um, he's got a robot leg. Yeah, yeah, very slowly. And he's getting blown. But um, <laughs> at the same time, yeah, I guess that explains how great he is. Directed by Paul Verbloven. <laughs> so um, this is the last segment on the show, and it is a segment where we recommend movies that we actually liked. Um, unlike, say, the movie we watched tonight, which, Last Ounce of Courage, which Stuart and I didn't like, and Dan last loved. Oz of Courage. <laughs> um, hey, for once, I'll go. First. Okay. Is um, he gonna fucking one up us? Is he gonna? He's gonna tell us some. Um, well, I don't. We don't know. I don't know. He's not gonna do the movie I want to do. Hey, let's sit back and watch. I'll recommend a movie that uh, I actually recommended um, today on our Flophouse Facebook page. If you're not a member, why not go and join? Uh, which is uh, Targets is on Netflix streaming now. Good movie. Uh, is that hard the, target? No. No. It's the Peter Bogdanovich movie. Uh, his first movie, I believe. Is that, is that right? I think so. I think that's his directorial debut. Um, and it was uh, produced by uh, Roger Corman and had the odd um, requirement that he had to use a bunch of unused footage from a Roger Corman production. Mm-hmm. He had to get it in under a certain amount of budget. Yeah. He had Boris Karloff for two days, I think. And he had to use footage from another movie that Corman had been trying to make with, Roger Cor- with yeah. Boris Karloff. And he cleverly did it by it was it's sort of a like a kind of a deconstruction of horror movies. He shows uh, this like uh, cheesy Corman esque uh, Boris Karloff uh, horror movie, and it's contrasted with the real life horror of this uh, guy in Texas snapping for no reason that the movie uh, particularly explains, going up to uh, a water tower and starting to shoot random people, um, and it all comes down to kind of a, uh, a showdown at a drive-in movie theater where this Karloff movie is is playing. And uh, Bogdanovich, you know, he's a guy who made some really great movies at the beginning of his career. Um, uh, uh, the, well, what the... Paper Moon. Paper Moon. What is the, te- the last picture show? Last picture show. Um, but uh, later on did not... Sort of, sort of faded out a little bit. Well, he still does stuff, but he... Well, he, I mean, he never totally recovered from his fiance getting murdered. Right. And his career well, suffered for some bad projects. He did the Cat's Meow not that long ago, which, which is, is not bad. It's pretty mediocre. I like it. I think I like it better than you. But uh, but 
you know, he, she shows up on a lot of DVD commentaries. And he is now, like, the keeper of Orson Welles' flame. Yeah. Anything about Orson Welles, you have to have Peter Bogdanovich come along and tell story. He And he's... Okay, so I've seen him speak in public more than once. Mm-hmm. And I saw him speak before a showing of Targets. And he was supposed to speak for about 15 minutes, and he said he went on for about 45 minutes. <laughs> and I think they had to might possibly delay or maybe cancel a later showing of Targets because he went uh-huh. on so long. But uh, he told a lot of stories where famous people told him how good he was at things. <laughs> and he did a, pulled a move that I thought was so amazing where he would say, uh, one last question, and then he'd answer the question. And before – this is at Film Forum. Before the Film Forum representative could cut him off, he'd go, uh, one last question again. One so last- he's he answered about 15 one last questions. Anyone have a question about where I get my ascots? Anybody? Anyone want to know? Uh, uh, but, but it's he, a great, but it's a fantastic, it's movie. a great movie, and he and the and his great movies are really great. Yeah, no, he he was a very great film director, at least at the beginning of his career, and uh, Targets is is one of his finest. So see it on Netflix Instant. Just drag it into your queue and click play. Mm-hmm. That's how it works. I mean, you don't even have to drag it into your queue, and you don't drag them into your queue. You don't drag them anymore. No. Okay. Well, do whatever Ellie just said. I mean, just click play. Stuart, would you like to go next? Yeah, sure. I'll, uh, I'm going to recommend a movie I watched this past weekend. Uh, it's the movie Stoker, mm-hmm. uh, directed by Park Chan-wook or Chan-wook Park. I don't know. The direct, uh, Depends Korean, on what country you're in. Yeah, Korean director who directed the Vengeance trilogy. He directed uh, There's uh, JSA, Joint Security Area, which was I recommended earlier in the mm-hmm. podcast. Um, <clears throat> or on an earlier podcast. <clears throat> this was his American uh, debut, um, which was interesting to watch after uh, The Last Stand, which was also an American debut by a uh, Korean director, the guy who directed Good, Bad, and Weird. But uh, Stoker is uh, kind of a gothic horror story about a young girl who is introverted. It's And just after her 18th She's birthday. kind of a Winona Ryder and Beetlejuice type. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. One of those. A Lydia, Lydia Dietz. A Lydia Lunch type. And it's... Uh, <laughs> Loosely based on uh, Shadow of a Doubt in a weird way, or inspired by. Inspired by, I would yeah. say, probably. Yeah, I think it's, uh, and it's a it's a screenplay by Wentworth Miller from yeah, Mr. Prison, Prison Break. Break. Oh, I didn't realize that. Um, and uh, yeah, her father passes away, and a mysterious yet sexy uncle shows up. And the things I like about it are things that are, I'm, I wasn't surprised I liked about it, Uh it's shot beautifully. It has some really interesting transitions from scenes, and the sa- the the use of sound in the movie is really great. Uh, it both isolates you and also makes you feel like very aware of the environment. So, uh, I really liked it. Stoker, Stoker, rated R. Yeah, is, well, it was rated R. Is playing at your house <laughs> if you choose. <laughs> Times, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, it's pretty pretty vague. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's no schedule printed up at your house. Whatever you want. <laughs> it's what am I going to tell you what to do? Leave me alone. Make it your way right away at Burger King. <laughs> uh, so I'll recommend a movie as well. So I feel like, Dan, you recommended a kind of uh, late-stage deconstruction of the horror movie. Yeah. And Stuart, yours is kind of a play on other 
previous horror elements. Sure. Mine is a movie that also plays on pre-existing film what? elements, but not horror this Way time. Way to tie it all together. I'd like to, it's a theme week. I'd like to recommend a movie called My Name is Nobody, which is... My Name is Earl. <laughs> it's called My Name is Earl. We were all thinking it, people. <laughs> it's a television show about a crazy guy with some crazy problems. Uh, so My Name is Nobody. It is a spaghetti western. It's a good summary of My Name is Earl, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it's my name is nobody, which is a spaghetti western, but it's a comedy spaghetti western, uh, and the best of the ones I've seen of those, and it's one I've been meaning to see for a long time. It's very heavily Sergio Sergio Leone influenced and worked on, but he didn't direct it officially. He directed a few seg- sequences in it, and there's a few sequences that stack up with just about any of his best work. I think uh, that very much bear his trademarks. There's a scene where the main character. Uh, Terrence Hill's character, Nobody, who's kind of a cunning gunman who tre- who acts like a kind of ignorant bumpkin to pe- get people uh, unawares. He has to drink and then shoot a series of drinks in smaller and smaller glasses, and the tension of it is drawn out very long in the way Leon liked to do uh, in those in the sequences where he was really pouring a lot of his effort into. Uh, but in the movie, is all about. Uh, nobody's quest to make become friends with Henry Fonda, who is an aging, legendary gunslinger, and nobody has this dream of seeing him have a final battle worthy of his talent, which would be Henry Fonda against this group called the Wild Bunch, which is 150 gunmen and outlaws, and who seem to just ride their horses around the West, not really doing much of anything, but just constantly, ominously riding their horses around. Is it just the use of a lot of stock footage? Or? No, no, it's very much footage that was shot for the film, and at the end, they, he does set up this showdown. You know, there are these, it's a relatively big budget movie, or at least looks like it, and there's some scene, comedy scenes that are not that good, but there are some comedy scenes that are very funny, uh, and some good action scenes in it. There's an Ennio Morricone score that ranges from great to ridiculously annoying. Uh, but even... I thought you were going to say great to ridiculously great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's just a really fun movie, and I really enjoyed it. If you like spaghetti westerns and you haven't seen it, I think you'll enjoy it a lot. It plays with a lot of those elements and exists in this mythic fantasy west that never really existed, but they pull it off really well, and there's a lot of fun moments, and... It'll leave a smile on your face if you like spaghetti westerns. And the song in your heart. And the song in your heart, which will be the annoying title theme. Uh, but there's some great. There's some music in it that kind of functions as a reference to movies that hadn't been made yet. When the Wild Bunch is riding around, that he injects a little bit of Ride of the Valkyrie into the song, and I was like, oh, like in Apocalypse Now. Except this movie came out six years before Apocalypse Now, but like. It works even better as a joke to use that opera music for them because of a later movie, which I found just interesting. Uh, but that's not really has nothing to do with the movie. They made it's not like they were like, "We'll use uh, this a song now because in a six years it'll be an indelible part of an iconic scene." Work on the music, Ennio. We got a pizza to make. It's like Room Two Thirty Seven, man. Yep. So my name is Nobody. It's a fun little film. All right. Well, we should sign off so you don't have to listen to. 
Stuart and me surreptitiously coughing off microphone since we both uh, are recovering from colds. What Dan's trying to say is we're recovering from colds. Yeah. And meanwhile, my immune system is super strong. Go fuck yourself. Exactly. <laughs> Elliot only gets chipmunk diseases. What? <laughs> I, I have to be kept away from chipmunks. He has to avoid small rodents. <laughs> Unlike most people who seek out small rodents, yeah. I guess. He has That's rescue ranger syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I, I got it when I had sex with Monterey Jack. Oh. <laughs> Mm. Sure. Did <laughs> oh, I go too far somehow? When I talked about having sex with a Some cartoon kind of mouse. a fondue party got kind of crazy. Fondue party. Mm-hmm. Too yeah, right. Cheese. Oh, they like cheese. That's why. Well, yeah. Monterey Jack. And Monterey is, Jack is obsessed with cheese. I mean, especially. his mustaches go all crazy. That's all right. true. Well, we'll talk more about sex with mice off <laughs> off microphone. But uh, for it now, it's like a sanitizer liquid or something. Uh, for the flop house, <laughs> I've been Dan McCoy. I've been Stuart Wellington. And not sick over here is Elliot Kalen. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. What are you guys up to? Uh, we're just going to record. Yeah, it's been, we're plans not, for the holidays. Are we, we going to record well, this thing? No, let's do a little, and, we're doing a little bit of a... Uh, get, Friend, friend, catch up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no yeah. thanks. Hey, congratulations on the AV Club thing. That was right, that's crazy. Talk about it, it is. on the air. Oh, okay. Oh, we're gonna talk. That's I don't want to talk about it. On the well, we'll just no, we don't talk it about it. We'll just thank the. We'll be like, it's just crazy that we weren't number one idiots. Assholes. Uh, Mic drop. Kaboom. 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 I'm hilarious. You're not hilarious. I'm the best. See you.